and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta Yerdena Osband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Bavakama, daf Kuf Yud Chet, page 118. It is the second to last daf of Bavakama. Yerdena, I really can't believe it. We've just got the one daf yet, one daf left, and then we've got a new Masachet on Friday, and then we have our Seam on Sunday at 5 p.m. Israel time, 10 a.m. Eastern Seaboard, and the rest of you can do your time zones accordingly. Um, I just, I don't know why I felt like Bavakama is on the one hand very long, and on the other hand, it kind of flew by. Yes, I would say it's about, it flew by, but it's also really long. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, here we are. Uh, listen, we're still in Nazikin, right? Meaning as compared to Nashim, Nashim, Seder Nashim, that really did take a very long time. Um, right. And okay. I think that's what's going to be interesting is like, we're still, we're not going to be totally like switching topics in a way. Right. We're still in other areas of civil law that we come to in Bava Metziah. Each of the Bavas, right? Bava again means Sha'ar, it means a gate. Each of these sections of this opening to Seder Nizikin, they all have their own flavors. Um, as we come to close Bava Kama, we have four Mishnayot on this daf. And we're going to ping pong them, as we say. I will start um, very close to the top of Amad Aleph. Hagozel and Chavero, Oshe Hilvahimenu, Oshe Hifkidlo Bishuv, Loyach Zirlo Bamidbar, Almenlat Latsit Bamidbar Yach Zirlo Bamidbar. So, what's the case? We have a person, one person steals from another, or borrows money from him, or was the, or, or, left a, an object with that same person to for the other person to guard, to protect, whatever. He should not return that. He may not. It's not just that he should not. He cannot return that item in an unsettled area, meaning Bamidbar literally means the wilderness. It doesn't mean that they're going out to the biblical wilderness. The idea here is that the whole idea is that the owner, the original owner who's taking it back, needs to be able to protect the item that he's finally getting back. Um, However, if it was given or loaned, or I don't know how you deal with the stealing, but right, if it was loaned on in with in mind that it should be returned only in that unsettled area, then it could be returned in the unsettled area. Meaning, on the one hand, we want the owner to be able to protect it. On the other hand, if it's stipulated in advance, you know, we're dealing with matters of civil law. Almost anything that can is stipulated in advance can take hold as we go through it. Um, the Gemara here raises a contradiction about loans being repaid in any location and as compared to a lost item, which is supposed to be returned to the place where it was first lost. Obviously, there is much to discuss here, but we have Mishnayot to get to. Yardena, you are up. Okay, I'm going to move to the next one. So now we have the following scenario. Somebody says to another person, I stole from you. Right? Or I lent, you lent me money. He cut, he uh, you deposited some type of object with me. Right, but I don't know if I returned it to you or I did not return it to you. He's chayav to pay, right? Because he basically he admits to the obligation, and so therefore he needs to pay. But if he says to him, right, I do not know whether I stole from you, 
im hilvatani, or I don't know if you lent me money, im hivkatita etzli, I don't know whether you left an object with me, patormi l'shalem. Yeah, then he doesn't have to pay because he's not sure whether or not that debt actually ever existed. Um, so the Gemara here is going to sort of uh, bring a machloket uh, from the Amurayim between Rav Huna and Rav Yehuda, um, which is a case of where somebody says, uh, right? If someone says to another, you owe me a mana, and the other person says, I don't know, right? So Rav Huna and Rav Yehuda, they say that he's chayef to actually pay the mana. And uh, Rav Nachman and Rav Yochanan say he's not chayef to pay the mana. Sorry, before I said it was between Rav, Rav Huna and Rav, uh, Rav, Huna and Rav uh, Yehuda was the machloka. Sorry, it's between two sets of Amurayim. So um, from there, the Gemara is going to explain each one how they have, how do they get to that actual position. Um, and so Rav Huna and Rav Yehuda are basically going to say he's chayef to pay because, you know, one person is saying for sure he owes and the other person is saying perhaps, right? So the for sure is stronger than the perhaps. Whereas the other, Rav Nachman and Rav Yochanan are going to say he's not Chayev uh, because, you know, sort of, we kind of have this principle of Okama Mono Bechazkat Mare, right? The money stays in the possession of its current owner. Uh, we're not going to change the status quo based on this type of information. Um, I find it really interesting that you've got a bari v'shema, right? The clar what, what do you call this? Something that's definite and something that needs clarification in this case. Yeah, exactly. So that's really what it is. So the Mishnah's point of view is, is that if there's a, a definite piece to it, that's why you have to pay, right? The, the, the person is saying, I know that there was a debt. I know that there was something that I owe you. And that's why they have to pay. Whereas the second half of the Mishnah is saying, if, there's even a question whether that debt existed. That's why they wouldn't have to pay at all. Okay. Mishnah three. Somebody steals a lamb from the flock and then returns it, presumably to the flock, right? But doesn't tell the owner that he's returned it. And then, and then this returned lamb dies or is stolen, meaning by somebody else, the thief, that first thief who had stolen it and returned it kind of secretly, is still on the hook to pay restitution because it, it, it never re- it's as if it never happened that he brought it back. Now what would happen if it was stolen but they didn't, the owner didn't know it was stolen. So now it was stolen. It was returned. He doesn't know it was stolen. He doesn't know it was returned. Right. And then he counts his sheep, right? He counts his sheep the next day and he discovers that everything is exactly as it should be. Then the thief is exempt from paying because it's kind of like no harm, no foul. Meaning if the thief steals the sheep and brings it back, and it doesn't die, and it isn't stolen a second time, right, because it's there to be counted, then he made good on it. He returned his thing. He doesn't have to, he doesn't even have to pay because he's already brought the lamb back. Now, the Gemara on this Mishnah has, brings four different opinions, and in pretty clear, like, contrast to each other, 
Um, we first have Rav, then Shmuel, then Rav Yochanan, then Rav Chista. And you can make a very nice chart over who says what. So just the first bit of the Gemara, I'm a Rav Ladat, Tzarich Da'at, Shalolodat, Minayim Poter. So the Gemara, so Rav first says, you know, in the case where the owners knew that the lamb had been stolen, then the return also has to be with the knowledge of the owners. Uh, so, you know, otherwise, otherwise you can't, uh, it's not considered returned, I guess is the way to put it. Um, but if they didn't know, then, the and the count is exactly right, that's what exempts the thief. And so then that works because of the end case that's mentioned in the the end of the Mishnah. Okay, Shmuel, I'm not going to read them all inside, but just to know, right? Shmuel says, well, what happens if the owners that count, the owners knew that the lamb was stolen, they count the flock, they found it whole, and then therefore the thief should be exempt from having to pay in that case as well. Meaning we knew the, thief, the lamb was gone, but now it's here. So again, no harm, no foul, we're good to go. If the owners didn't know, so this is again, Rev says, if they, if the owners didn't know that it was stolen, well then, ob again, obviously the the thief is going to be exempt. Rabbi Yochanan says, if the owners count that flock, they find it whole. The thief is exempt from liability. But if the owners did not know that the lamb was stolen to begin with, the thief is exempt from liability, even if the owner didn't count. Meaning that Rabbi Yochanan comes to make this point that they don't have to count. They didn't know that anything was missing. So the fact that the count is good. It's immaterial as far as Rabbi Yochanan is concerned. And Rav Chista says that if the owners count the flock, they find it all everybody there, then the thief is exempt. But if the owners did not know that the lamb was stolen, and here's Rav Chista's kiddush, his his innovation, right, is that he says the thief has to inform the owner that he returned the lamb that he that the owner didn't know was taken. So that already kind of puts a new wrinkle into the dynamic between the thief and the owner. And then each one of these rabbis has a take on, you know, what do you do with that final clause, which is specifically about the counting, meaning all of them are taking the question of counting the sheep and applying it to the first part of the Mishnah because the second part of the Mishnah puts it there. Um, okay, I'm going to stop here. The Gemara spelling out all of these different positions of Rav and Shmuel, Rav Yochanan, Rav Chista goes on for quite a while. It takes a little while till we get to that last Mishnah that you, your dinner, you can handle it now, I think. Okay. I'm going to move on to our, our last one here. So since we were talking about, uh, you know, sheep being stolen, uh, now the Mishnah is going to list a bunch of items that you basically can't purchase because we're concerned that they could have been stolen. And we've seen this theme before, right? The whole idea that we have that Mishnah about not exchanging money or taking money from a tax collector, for even if it's for tzedakah, because we're worried that it could have been stolen money. So you cannot purchase wool, milk, or kids from hired shepherds, nor wood or fruit from watchmen of fruit orchards. But you can purchase woolen garments from women in Yehuda, ukli pishtam begalil, and linen garments in the Galil, vagalim bisharon, and calves in the shomron. Um, and so basically, the idea here is, is that we don't think that women would be selling these things without their husband's permission, and that they're likely 
not stolen. Or also these were things that commonly we knew that this was like the trade that people did in these areas. So we're not, we don't have the same concern that they would be stolen. But if any of these women tell the purchaser to hide what he purchased, Asur, then it's prohibited to purchase from her. But somebody can purchase eggs and chicken from anywhere because these are the types of things. They're basically cheap. They're items that are, you know, sold a lot of. And so we're not really worried about them uh, actually being stolen. I, I find this mission interesting because to me, it seems to sort of imply that there was like a lot of theft or this was actually like a, a, a real concern. I mean, I guess in the way it's like, you know, if you buy a fake, you know, you buy a luxury bag, quote unquote, you know, on the street of Manhattan, you kind of have to assume it was stolen or it's actually a, a, a fake or something like that. A knockoff, right? Exactly. Yeah, like a knockoff. Exactly. That's what I'm looking for. So the Gemara here basically starts with a lengthy mis- brysa that sort of elaborates on the theme of this Mishnah. Right? So you can't buy from shepherds, uh, goats, or kids. Nor fleeces, nor wool that were torn from the sheep. But you can buy from them sewn garments. Because the garment belongs to them. Because remember, even if they stole it, remember, once you make that shinoi, we've talked about this before, they actually own the item. They may have to owe money for the for the uh, robbery that they committed, but they actually own the item. You can buy from the milk and cheese in the wilderness, below by Yeshu, but not in a settled area. Um, because in a place where, you know, shepherds offer these items for sale is basically in the Mibar, right? That's where you would buy them because it's, uh, it, you know, why would they make, why would they sort of have these types of objects in a settled area? Because there are other people who make these, you know, make these items. Arbaba chamesh pizin, four or five fleeces at once. Oh, sorry, excuse me. Below klimehan arbaba chamesh zone. You can buy from them four or five sheep at once. Arbaba chamesh pizin, four or five fleeces at once. About lo shtei zone, velo But not two sheep or three sheep. Um, because we basically assume that a shepherd wouldn't risk, you know, wouldn't steal some four or five of something at one time because then the owner would notice it. But one or two things he would steal. So that's why buying a smaller amount is more likely that it could be a stolen item. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Rabbi Yehuda says, by tot lo mehan, domestic sheep you can buy for them. Meet bariot ain lo mehan. But you cannot buy sort of wild sheep from him, right? From them. Because again, the idea is, a shepherd wouldn't steal a domestic sheep, but maybe would steal a wild sheep. This is the general rule. Anything that is sold by the shepherd, the owner will sense is missing. One may buy from them. But if the owner won't sense it's missing, you don't buy from them. So in other words, the general rule is if it's an item that we sort of assume that the owner would notice if it was stolen and the shepherd is selling that kind of item, then you can buy it because you'd say, okay, owner's going to know that a shepherd stole from him. But if it's an item that the shepherd, that the owner wouldn't notice was missing, you cannot buy that from a shepherd. Then from there, the Gemara is going to go to analyze this Mishnah. But I found that cloud, that general principle to be very interesting. And I think does tell us something about, you know, theft and the responsibility of the buyer. The buyer needs to make sure 
that they are not buying something that's stolen. That that responsibility rests upon the buyer. It's kind of like let the buyer beware. You know, it has to kick in at some point, even if, even under the circumstances where also we're going to put the onus on the seller. Yes, I think so. Yeah, the onus is based, right. So the seller is responsible, but the buyer is also responsible. So, you know, and I, especially the way this price ends, it really seems to me that the buyer is responsible. Right, because at the end of the day, what are you going to do, right? Like, I wonder about this sometimes, practically speaking. Like, if if we flub in our purchase, right, but they haven't done anything wrong, there's no fraud, there's no malice, there's no, like, what can you do? You've done a, you let the buyer beware. Like, there's a reason that that's a policy. The There's responsibility on both, in both places. Like, I, I, I guess there's no better way to, to establish it than that. That's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Revenue Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hodger website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Town Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.